welcome to a new episode of Pause and Listen, the podcast from Pause. I'm Claire Laxton and will be your host for this episode. For new listeners, Pause is a national charity working with women who've experienced or at risk of having children removed from their care. We offer an intensive trauma-informed model of support to women, so the removal of a child should never have to happen more than once. Today, we've got a slightly different format for the podcast, so I'm really pleased to be joined by Josh McAllister, Chair of the Care Review. So the review was launched in January this year, and it's looking at the children's social care system in England as a whole, what works well, what needs to be better, how it can offer that sort of stability and foundation for children in the care system. And last month, the review published a case for change, which asked some pretty big questions from lots for lots of people. And for us at Pause, the one thing from the case for change that was really positive was that it recognised the needs and experiences of women who experience um, the removal of children from their care more than once. Now that we've gone through a bit of the background, let's get to the questions. We've also had some questions from women who work with PAWS and who've been on the PAWS programme. So I want to say thank you to those women for submitting questions as well. Welcome, Josh, and thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Josh, can you tell us what you and the Care Review team are up to at the moment and what can we expect from you in the next few months? The focus of the review has been to start by listening to people. What are the experiences of children and young people currently in the children's social care system in one way or another. Parents, kinship carers, foster carers, the workforce in all of its various component parts and also care experienced adults and the lifelong impact of a care experience. We've heard from hundreds of people now and that work is still underway. Having listened to lots of people and read lots of things, what are the big themes that are present within the children's social care system? That's in the document that's called the case for change and we've shared that early on with people so that people can react to it. It's unusual, I think, for a review to do that quite so early on. So we published that document just after three months into the process, but we'd rather get the feedback than hold something back in the attempt to only release things that are in perfect condition. We've had about 300 organisations and people, including FORS, give us feedback on that document. And in addition to that, we're doing deep dives into a number of local areas across England. And in two of those areas, we're actually going to do some very in-depth ethnographic work where we follow a group of families who've got a child protection plan or in the child in need part of the system and make sure we hear fully from that group of people who've currently got a social worker. Because I think for reasons that your listeners would really understand, parents in that circumstance are often the least likely to want to share their current experiences for for very understandable reasons. We're also doing a number of further bits of data analysis and uh, commissioned research projects with the What Works Centre. And we're doing a project also called Bridging the Gap, where we essentially invite over 100 people who've got lived or professional experience of children's social care into a forum over a number of weeks who can start to form a, a bit of a dialogue with one another about what solutions might look like. So we're still listening, we're getting feedback, we're making sure that our diagnosis is right. Thinking about the case for change, it asks some really big fundamental questions. Do you think you will actually find answers or recommendations for all of those things? Or do you think some of those things might require more thinking or more time than the review 
the review will not answer every problem within social care. No review can comprehensively solve every problem. But some of the issues that we've identified in the case for change are symptoms of behaviours or the way that either we as a society or the children's social care system interact and operate and have a perspective on the people that we're there to serve and work with, which is children and families. If we can get as close as possible to changing and shaping those drivers, the behaviours or the way that the system operates or thinks about people, that sets up improvement that might come five or 10 years down the line. That's my hope. And, And in asking the big questions that are in the case for change document, we're inviting people to lean into some of the discomfort about how children's services works at the moment. And there are tens of thousands of incredibly dedicated, hardworking, skilled, caring and thoughtful people that work in children's services. Some remarkable leaders leading it and lots of civil servants very dedicated to it. And then around it, hundreds of organisations that are campaigning, providing services, trying to improve things. So it's not a system that's lacking care and compassion and commitment. And yet for too many families and parents and children, it doesn't live up to its promise. That's tough because for people that work in it, to sit with that is inherently going to be uncomfortable. Something this big and this important demands that we ask big questions and sit in that discomfort. And we ask families to do that all the time in children's services. And we need to ask it of ourselves now in this review. Do you think the government are leaning into those uncomfortable truths as well? Have you had any response from them or any conversations from the initial questions that you've asked from the care review? Engagement across government has been really good. The big work that I'm going to be asking government to do off the back of the review is at the end when we're going to set out what's going to be asked and there'll be some really important things in there for government to consider and to take action on. And are they prepared to sit with some of the discomfort? I think they are because they can see both the social costs of us not doing this work well enough And also the economic costs of this work not being done as well as it needs to be. There are significant financial reasons to improve how we do this. So there's definitely lots of good reasons why government is interested in this and sees it as a priority. We've got a question from Vanessa, who works with PAUSE and has been on the PAUSE programme. And she talks about how care experienced women are more at risk of having children removed and what support the review could recommend for looked after children and care leavers to reduce the chances of that happening to them. The question Vanessa's asking has come up with the review in a number of different ways with parents who themselves were care experienced going through proceedings, care experienced young parents feeling like they're being prejudged because they have a care experience and services jumping to conclusions about what that means for their child unfairly often and also crucially with the high number of children who enter care actually returning back to their birth families within a relatively short space of time and then finding a few years down the line that that reunification was unsuccessful and then finding children re-entering the care system is just the symptom of the system being quite boundaried in how it approaches its work so There is a lens that we need to look at the whole of children's social care through, which is the same lens that PAUSE looks at its work through, which is how to break 
these very powerful cycles, often across generations, that services that are working in quite a narrow, defined way can end up missing. So you end up with almost the system of child protection seeing its role ending after care proceedings. And there is no requirement for work to happen with parents after that point. So it's how to broaden and give a more generous definition to the work that the system does with these families when children come in and out of care and when we've got these generational cycles. It requires really focused work with practitioners who've got the time to commit to it. Do you think there is that scope there to actually implement some learning and accountability for particularly children that are being corporately grandparented, great-grandparented? Surely we can't look at that and think that that's a system that is working effectively for families. One of the issues that we flagged in the case for change was about some really important areas where we just don't have data available or collected um, about the demographics of of families and parents within the system, uh, a whole gap in terms of health outcomes and experiences of health for children and families using children's social care services. And yet at the same time, local authorities are snowed under with data requests. For us, data is so important because collecting data and then someone being accountable for that data is often what can drive system change. And for the women that we work with, data about parents that have had children removed from their care is not routinely collected. Are there other things that you can do and talk about to highlight the importance of collecting data and then someone being accountable for that data? One thing we could do is list some extra things that the system should measure and take account of and add to the list of the requirements that services have got to meet those needs. But it's also worth asking why we've ended up in a situation where those are the things we have to rely on in order for change to happen. Some of that is about a system which is so, at times, so heavily reliant on the requirement for prescription before things happen. And Eileen Monroe characterised this in her review 10 years ago as people doing things right rather than doing the right thing. That still holds true in parts of the system despite the fact that we've got tens of thousands of hugely dedicated well-intentioned and skilled people doing the work and I'm not yet halfway through the review so I can I think I can probably get away with saying I don't know what the answer is but that's the tough question that the review needs to grapple with because if we just come out with adding more bricks to the Jenga pile of the system as I've described it yeah it might end up fixing that one particular issue, but it does make the overall system more precarious. So I'm going to loop back to a couple of questions from women that have worked with pause. Heidi asks what the review might be recommending around contact between parents and children that are in long-term foster care so people can be kept up to date about important events in each other's lives. And Kirsty asks about what the review thinks around ensuring that difficult or challenging family relationships don't necessarily impede relationships with children with special guardianship orders. The issue of contact has been something that's been raised by birth parents, but also foster carers, and often both saying that it isn't working at the moment for a lot of them. The spaces it's held in, the logistics and how it's organised, and the agreements that are reached. So it's certainly something that we're looking at. It's 
another feature of the system finding its way to facilitating and enabling lifelong loving relationships. There is something in that space about how to accept that for lots of children, they will want to understand their birth family. It's an important part of their identity and and who they are in the world and figuring out how contact can be an important part of that is certainly really important. And then in terms of special guardianships and trying to support families working through all of the difficult and mixed emotions of wider kin taking responsibility for a child when it might be a grandparent actually taking care of their child's child. I've heard from lots of kinship carers and birth parents about these scenarios, all of which are unique, but there are so many of them where it's so obviously painful for birth parents and wider family members to try and juggle both of those things and families need help with that. So mm. it's an important area that the review will be will be looking at. And we're actually doing some work on letterbox contact at the moment and have done some work with women who work with poor professionals and adoptive families to hear about their experiences of letterbox contacts. And I think it's pretty fine to say that it's not quite working for all of them it feels like it's an administrative process rather than supporting of developing lifelong relationships and that's definitely come through from the women that we work with and from adoptive families as well so it really feels like something can be different there and so we've got a question from a woman who works with cause and she asks what the main thing that you might be looking to change so birth parents and adopted children can have a relationship where it's safe to do so. The honest answer at this stage is I don't know. I don't know what the recommendation might be or what the solution might be, but it is something that we've heard a lot about in the last few months. And it's something actually that our experts by experience board members, a number of whom have had their own children be adopted as well as there being a number of adopters on the board. It's a lively discussion that they've been having and I think recognise that it's something that there needs to be some change on in the future. So last couple of questions. And I think this is really around the big question that was in the case for change around services for birth parents and the difference that post-removal support, post-care proceeding support for birth parents really makes to their lives. And the case for change asked the question, why isn't this more available the document really set out that it is symptomatic of the short termism in the system, which we would agree with. And one of the things from our experience at pause of opening local practices, having practices close, is that without real sustained funding to embed that learning and the service in a local area, it can be just really difficult to actually create that change that we're looking to do with birth parents and that lots of other services do as well. It is a quite a financial challenge for lots of local authorities at the moment, particularly post-COVID. How can you make that persuasive argument to government that these services clearly make a difference in terms of positive outcomes for people's lives and they do need to be invested in? Well, if we carry on as we are, there will be more costs in the future. There is no scenario in the short to medium term where children's social care is not going to cost the country more money. And we just need to be honest about that. 
if we don't change things, then it will become more expensive and potentially the quality of what's offered will deteriorate as money shifts away from services that are there to help at a stage when a family's not in crisis towards very expensive crisis intervention, local authorities spending huge sums of money taking families to court, local authorities spending huge sums of money with children in long-term care and the costs of that spiralling for various reasons, including profit growth within particularly residential care. That's the issue with programmes like PAUSE and services that support birth parents post-removal is that they're preventative, effectively. Yeah. You know, they're, they're preventative, supportive services. They're not a crisis intervention. Exactly. So that's the baseline. Things mm-hmm. will cost more money in the short to medium term. So the review needs to find a way of putting into the system a breathing space, a pause, if you like, for us to find our way back to doing the help that professionals came into the system to do. We need to create the breathing space to get the system to balance itself back towards the help needs to be high quality. It needs to be based on some evidence. That's why some of the work that is needed isn't just about money. It's also about reform. And that's an argument that we've made in the Case for Change report. But as part of creating that space and that reform, we also have to look beyond the narrow confines of how we define people in different bits of the system. Are you on an early help plan or are you on a child in need plan? If you go back and read the original bit of the Children Act, 89, Section 17, that's potentially a very porous boundary between early help and child in need. And maybe we should be so caught up on which label you've got. Child protection and being in care proceedings. Now, it's obvious that if you have a child removed, that's a traumatic mm-hmm. experience. And services will know that there are two things that might happen. One is that parent might end up having another child taken into care at huge social and economic costs. And secondly, there's a very good chance that that child will end up going into care and then coming back out of care and living with the birth family again and if you don't have a view about how you support parents post removal and offer lots of support to families when children might come back out of care and live with the birth family again then you are spending lots of time and energy doing work to separate a family which is what's needed sometimes but then not putting anywhere near the same degree of attention and energy and focus and money on those other areas which end up creating the same cycle happening again for everybody involved it's exhausting and it's costly and it's painful and it needs to end there needs to be a way of the system zooming back out of it and finding a different way of being accountable for those journeys and doing that in a way which sustains long-term high quality relationships with skilled practitioners who've got the time to make the difference and privileges lifelong loving relationships for everybody who's in receipt of this public service. And do you have a sense of who or which part of the system should be accountable for those sorts of services and that sort of support? There is a broader issue at the moment between local and national government. Who is responsible for what? What's the role of national government within children's social care? Is it a steward? Is it directing? 
if it's directing, what is it that it is prioritizing and cares most about? Do we want a highly devolved system where local actors and political accountability through councillors determine lots of what goes on at the moment? Is that unfair? Is that better because it's closer to the public? These are, I think, the questions which need to be answered first before then figuring out actually, okay, well, if that's the best way to balance accountability in the system and roles and responsibility, therefore, when we look at families and parents, here is a different way or a better way of having accountability across the longer piece of the journey that they've got within children's social care. Assuming that your listeners are a combination of women who've been through the PAUSE programme and people that have worked for PAUSE and are still working for PAUSE, and probably a whole bunch of other people who are interested in these issues, I just wanted to say a really big thank you because I know that the work that's being done through programmes like PAUSE is amazing and we need more of that in the future for parents who have had sometimes really bad experiences of children's social care over their lives being able to channel that experience into an opportunity to help the review learn and figure out what better answers might be asks a lot of those women but makes a really big difference we are not just here talking about parents who've done something wrong and have been judged to not be fit to raise their kids. These are lots of people who have had really challenging experiences growing up themselves as children. And as a collective society, we've not done enough, a good enough job of supporting them as children. And they're living with a lot of that trauma and taking it with them into adulthood and becoming parents. And I think we could all do with reflecting on that and that whole journey and experience. Josh, thank you so much for coming to talk to us on Pause and Listen. We really appreciate it and it's been a great conversation. It's good to know how much women who've had children removed from their care and their children are being considered in the care review. We look forward to continuing to work with your team and seeing what's next for the care review as well. We'll be back soon with another episode of Pause and Listen. But in the meantime, if you want to find out more, just go to www.pause.org.uk and you can find this podcast and subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thank you.